Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. Don't forget our live Zoom this Thursday the 25th at 8pm, free to Patreon backers. Sign up to support us and you'll get exclusive access to an hour of quality chat with me and some of the Bunker regulars. And now I've got Alex Andreo with me here to set out what's coming up in the next seven days. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Andrew. I'm fine. Good to hear it. So we're going to talk about the astonishing scenes in Bristol last night and what that means for the troublesome police crime sentencing and courts bill a little bit later. But first, we've, we've woken up to this worsening row over vaccines with Britain and the EU, which is causing consternation pretty much across the political spectrum. The Guardian's reporting that an EU ban on exports could delay Britain's own vaccine drive. There's reports of the EU activating Article 122 of the EU treaty, which is a near sort of wartime measure, which could include export bans, waiving of IP rights on vaccines and stuff like that. But it's all going to be okay because Boris Johnson is going to call national leaders personally to plead with them <laughs> to okay export. Because that's great and that always works, doesn't it? So, Alex, Alex, what's going on here? What's happening? Well, look, we mustn't underestimate that uh, uh, Johnson does have a few allies uh, across Europe. So uh, I would expect that he will get support from co- countries like Poland and Hungary, who are also quite annoyed with how the pan-European vaccination program has gone. What's happening here is that effectively a commercial dispute has been turned into a, a sort of nationalist issue, as far as I can see. Um, there's very little reference in any of the European press to this being a British vaccine in some way. And that's, you know, because it's not. Uh, Oxford led its development, but, you know, the team at Oxford is led by a Dubliner. Um, AstraZeneca is a a sort of Anglo-Swedish company run by a French person. And the people who have invested most in the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, program are the Americans. And so I think it was only uh, the despair of the of the Johnson administration to claim this vaccine as their own that created this this issue of putting a sort of label on it. Otherwise, it would just be a commercial dispute between you know a customer who ordered something and a company who failed to deliver it, which is essentially what's happened. I mean, AstraZeneca turned around at the beginning of the year with no explanation and said to the EU that of the 100 million doses that they had promised to deliver them in the first quarter, they would deliver 30 million doses. The EU are right to be pissed off at that. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no two ways about it. Yeah, I mean, we do have a confusing scenario, though, in that the, the EU wants to limit Dutch-manufactured AstraZeneca vaccines from coming to the UK, and Britain is refusing to send UK-manufactured AstraZeneca to the EU. So 
it's almost as if we live in a world of Im- immensely complicated supply chains, Alex, where, where lots of stuff sh- crosses borders. Again, just taking a calm, rational, objective view of what's going on, there may be arguments that the UK has sort of dibs on the AstraZeneca vaccine. It was involved in its development. It is, you know, being developed. It was developed in this country. But there's no argument you can apply to the AstraZeneca vaccine that Germany couldn't apply to the Pfizer vaccine, for instance, which was developed, you know, by BioNTech with German state subsidy. So, What you can't do is claim dibs on the Pfizer vaccine because we approved it first and put in an order first, and dibs on the AstraZeneca vaccine because it was developed in Oxford, and dibs on that vaccine because, you know, my uncle's cousin's hairdresser knows um, Boris Johnson. What you can't do is exceptionally say it's all ours legitimately especially when at the same time you're saying, but we want to go on our holidays. We've just had confirmation through this morning from a US trial of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, which is confirming that it is effective and there are no real safety issues uh, regarding blood clots. Lots of EU leaders have been talking about potential safety issues and uh, concerns about blood clots. That was the, the, the reason why the vaccine was temporarily suspended. Vaccine take-up in the EU is considerably lower than it is in the UK. Less than 12% of the EU population has has had the shot. Is it possible to see EU countries' vaccine take-up turning around? Because it looks like we've got individual national leaders that have been placing a cloud of doubt over the vaccine. Add to that logistic issues. The whole thing just does look like a bit of a mess. Yes, uh, look, there are there are also more vaccines coming online. And if you look at the delivery schedules, even these amended delivery schedules, um, the EU is due to catch up with the US and the UK by early to mid-summer. So yes, we will see a ramping up of the program. There's no reason not to. But the the fundamental issue with the AstraZeneca vaccine is that it was a problem created by AstraZeneca. And again, in this tussle of everything with a British flag on it being good and everything to do with Europe being bad, what's being missed is that AstraZeneca mismanaged the media, the PR around its vaccine, its vaccine horribly. When it first announced the results of its trials, it came up with two possible um, efficacy rates um, without saying which which applied to what. It said it's either about 60-odd or 90%. And then digging into the results, it turned out that, you know, the 90% applied to only a, a group of people under 55. It then... Um, found a higher efficacy rate because it because at one of its trials it made a mistake with a dosage, so one of the manufacturers of the trial vaccine manufactured a half dosage by mistake, and AstraZeneca discovered that it was actually more effective to give a half dosage. Over time, what they found is that it wasn't the half dosage that was more effective, but the longer interval, which is what. Uh, Britain is doing now with this 12-week interval. So it has completely fucked up. If the UK had not been in such a desperate situation, 
it would have rightly had questions about the AstraZeneca vaccine. But it was in such a bad situation with such a big third spike that it was like, look, it's a risk, but it's good enough. Just put it in everyone's arms because it's cheap and we have a plentiful supply of it. That's what happened. And give it a longer interval. All those were punts. They happened to pay out. We're, we're seeing resurging spikes in uh, European countries, you know, renewed lockdowns in the past few days, and that's going to affect this, this totemic issue of who's going to go on holiday this year, which we'll come to in a minute. But this kind of brings us to the renewal of the lockdown regulations in the UK, which is due to be voted upon on Thursday. Government can renew the rules for a further six months at a time. There's been lots of noise over the weekend about challenges to them from the usual MPs, the usual CRG suspects. We saw a pretty ugly anti-lockdown protest in London over the weekend. The iPaper is reporting that regulations will be watered down after that threat of revolt, but we don't yet know which powers uh, will be allowed Mm -hmm. to, to expire. What are you expecting to happen? Like you say, the expectation is that the powers will be watered down slightly for the bill to go through Parliament. I wouldn't expect anything hugely dramatic. This will be symbolic concessions to keep the backbenchers on board because Labour have indicated that they will support the renewal of the measures. And so really the government can get it through without support from its CRG uh, group. Mm-hmm. Uh, But there will be some symbolic concessions to them because ultimately they would like everyone on board. This is uh, 12 months since the very first lockdown was announced. Mm. The anniversary will will be this week. We we can assume that that's very much going to colour the argument then that we've had 12 months of this and uh, it, it must end soon. Well... Yes, it doesn't work like that, of course. But yes, that Mm. argument will be made. There wasn't predicted to be a vaccine until really late next year. Um, Mm. So this could have gone on for much, much longer. And people need to, if they, you know, if they have to put a positive spin on it, then that's the spin to put on it, that it could have been a lot longer. But because the vaccines have, have, you know, gone online so early, we get a chance to finish this much earlier, really, than we had a right to expect. This is all taking place within the, the framework of the, the unlocking stage-by-stage roadmap that was announced yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, which was all about data and not dates, and now it turns out to be all about dates. You well, exactly. Um, <laughs> gathering of groups of six are supposed to start this weekend. They've been happening for weeks. As anybody who, who was uh, out on their own to go to the shops at the weekend could see and has been able to see for the, the past few weekends, people are doing this already. The government, as you said, said it was about data, not dates, and warned that the target dates might move back. Surely they can't. There's no way they can move these dates now. This, this, uh, The group of six thing will definitely have to happen this weekend. And the other dates will be set in stone. And they've sort of said they, they won't move the dates, which is why I'm saying... It's mm-hmm. turned out to be about dates, not data. I, look, I don't know. The, the fact of the matter is that every time, you know, this has been a little bit like one of those slasher flicks where the bad guy, you know, you think is dead and keeps getting up and coming after you. And every time, every time we think we've got this under control, some spin happens and it hits us in a new way, as happened with the variants last time. So I uh, I think the government needs to have people prepared for the possibility 
that the plan might need adjusting. But I also sense that people's patience is at an end. Well, this brings us to holidays, as, you, as you've mentioned. The government's strategy, the messaging strategy, seems to have been about giving people milestones, mm. things that will pass, that, you know, where you can see things are tangibly getting better. They spent a lot of the weekend pouring cold water on the idea of holidays. It's all well and good saying you can go on holiday, but go where? If uh, the virus is, is uh, resurging in, in many of the European destinations you might want to go to, is the notion that holidays are off going to really affect things beyond tabloid front pages, do you think? Yes, I think it will, because I think people react to misery and denial by saying, by setting a date for themselves and saying, by then it will be better and I will be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I think if sufficient numbers of people have got it in their minds that by the summer they will be able to go on holiday, then not being able to go on holiday will hit them quite hard. And there again, I think I must fault the government, because even though it's doing brilliantly with its vaccination effort, it did fail to manage expectations again. Because it was doing so well with its vaccination effort, it had people briefing the Times and the Telegraph two weekends ago that it will all be done by early summer, everyone will be vaccinated. You know, those stories did not just, did not just appear out of thin air. This was number 10 briefing its friendly papers that it was going even better than we expected. And in doing that, they inflated expectations. And now they can come out and say, well, look, it's it's all going according to our official schedule still. But the point is that two weeks ago, you briefed the papers that you, you were ahead of your official schedule. So people now expect you to be ahead of your official schedule. The scenes at the, the lockdown protest are now becoming dismally familiar with the same kinds of people and the same the same leaders and the same the same faces. And yet people's support in the broader population for, for, for the lockdown regulations is, you know, remains pretty firm. Are uh, these CRG characters attempting to chisel away at the regulations really speaking for a large part of the population or are they speaking for their own little enclave? They're speaking for a, for a large part of the population that is disgruntled at having to lock down all the time. And it doesn't matter whether a big chunk of that part of the population recognizes it's necessary. They're still glad that someone is there sticking it to people for extending lockdown because they, you know, because they get disappointed every time lockdown is extended. And so the people representing that view will do well politically. I have no doubt about it. But it would be interesting to dig into those figures and see who exactly is satisfied, who exactly thinks lockdown is necessary and who doesn't. Because, of course, looking at other European countries like Greece, there have been horrific scenes of violence and demonstrations and clashes with police. And the people driving that aspect of it are very much young people in urban areas for whom a year is an incredibly long time. I mean, I can't imagine how I would react if age 18 or 19, I was told you have to 
locked down for a year, not go to bars, not go to clubs, not, you know, flirt, not have sex with people, not go to parties, not, not have fun. I don't know how I would react to that. Uh, I suspect pretty badly. And so I think what we will start to see is a peeling away of the youth from the consensus that lockdowns are good and necessary and, you know, they're not the greatest thing, but it needs to get done. I think we will see youth peel away from that and saying, no, we've had enough. We're not so much in danger from this virus. And now that the more vulnerable people have been vaccinated, there is zero reason to keep us locked inside. We were all set to talk about the police, crime, courts and sentencing bill being kicked into the long grass till the end of June. Mm. Great triumph for popular across the board uh, protests and so forth. Is this, you know, is this going to take the sting out of it? And then last night in Bristol, there was a full scale riot and a demo against the bill. Police yeah. fans on fire, smash windows at the new Bridewell police station. It is hard to imagine a greater gift to Pretty Patel, is it? It really is. She must have been utterly delighted at what she saw, because she will now be on the front foot again. The policing bill had been kicked into the medium-term grass, I would say. It was due to start in committee this week, and suddenly it was pulled and people were told it wouldn't be until June. I wouldn't be surprised if she makes a statement to Parliament tomorrow saying, in view of the violence in Bristol, I'm putting this, uh, I'm putting rocket boosters on this, as ministers mm. like to say, and it will go to committee next week. A worst own goal I can scarcely remember. Yeah, it's hard to see how you uh, show how a bill is not necessary and bad and wrong by demonstrating all of the behaviours that it says it will put an end to. Well, the, the the point is, it doesn't say it will put an end to those behaviours because those behaviours are are unlawful already. So the police has all the powers to deal with what happened in Bristol yesterday. It will, of course, be weaponized by all sorts of people for all sorts of things. Nigel Farage yesterday was tweeting, look what happens, you know, if you allow Black Lives Matter protests to go on. This was not a, a BLM protest. It had nothing to do with that movement. But like I said, it will be weaponized by all sorts of people for all sorts of things. As someone very wisely pointed out, when the policing bill was being put through its second reading, if peaceful protest is outlawed, then you might as well riot. Hmm. Now, there's something quite profound in that. Mm. You know, if you're going to be arrested and put away for peacefully protesting, then what's the difference between that and turning over cars? Alex, before we wrap up, anything else to keep an eye out for this week? Well, the results of the two separate inquiries into uh, Nicola Sturgeon's uh, conduct are expected to be pu published this week. That's one, the Parliamentary Committee inquiry that looks at uh, what she knew and when. And we know from leaked reports that uh, are very much along partisan lines, that committee will say that Nicola Sturgeon misled Parliament, but not willfully misled Parliament, which is the resigning offence, so she can ride that out. More importantly, the second review into the ministerial 
code into whether she broke the ministerial code, which is an independent review by a barrister, is expected this week. And if that concludes that she broke the ministerial code, she might have a, a rougher time. All of this in the context, of course, of the coming elections, which are both unhelpful because it hurts the SNP's polling for the coming elections, but also in a weird way helpful because anything either inquiry comes up with, Nicholas Sturgeon can simply say, I'm going to the ultimate judgment in a month's time, and if Scottish people want to kick me out, they will. Alex, thanks for getting up early to fill us in on what's going to come up this week. It's my pleasure. Always good to talk to you. And that is the end of this morning's Start Your Week. Listeners, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with the full panel show. Until then, remember the live Zoom on Thursday at 8pm. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to sign up. And do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite app so you don't miss out. See you all next time. Bye. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yanela Sofronievich. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>